Hi, and welcome back to the Smart Driving Cars podcast. We appreciate you taking the time with us. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more info, head to MOTOETF.com. Technical support is provided by CARTS, the Corporation for Automated Road Transportation Safety, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to safe and high-quality mobility for all. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi again, Alan. Hey, good afternoon, Fred. Good afternoon, and joining us once again with October around the corner is consultant and publisher of the Dispatcher newsletter, Michael Senna from Sweden. Great to see you, Michael. Wonderful to be here again, Fred, Alan. Nice, nice to, see to have you. you. Well, on top in the latest edition of The Dispatcher, batteries and the demand for what goes into making them as the push for electric vehicles continues. And you are painting here a Mad Max scenario, Michael. Give us the overview. Yeah. Well, Mad Max is there to get your attention. But, um, you know, it, we're, we're not... We're not so far from the situation where we're trying to do something with materials that we have to acquire. Many of them are in the ground. They have to be mined, they have to be processed, they have to be put into to products, principally batteries and the vehicles that are using these batteries. And it's clear to anyone who's, who's looked at what resources we're going to require to meet the goals that are being established for how many cars are going to be on the market, how many cars are going to be sold in 2030, 2035, that are battery electric vehicles, we're just not going to get there. And so this article is not a, it's not an electric, it's not an electric car bashing article. I've done that before, but I'm not, that that's not the purpose of this. The purpose is to, keep us from getting to where we are right now in the world with energy. I was just watching the news and companies baking whatever, bottles is a, is a very good example. Bottle, making bottles is a high electric energy uh, user and companies that have been, been in business for many years are going out of business because they just can't afford to pay for the electricity and the energy that's required to produce the products. And- Especially if they're made out of aluminum. Especially if they're made out of aluminum, uh, which many of the cars, uh, that, that was last, that was last yeah. month's issue. The, so the what, I'm, what I'm trying to get to- containers are, you know, the same, go ahead. Yes, go, sorry. What I'm trying to, what I'm trying to do in, in this article is to, is to outline what the situation is with all of the materials that are needed to go into both batteries and the, uh, the cars that are using them. So that at some point in the future, we don't have to have our politicians speaking in the past exonerative sense, tense saying mistakes were made. We don't have to do that. We know right now what the situation is, who's controlling most, if not almost all of the, of the materials, it's China. Um, they're in a, in, a, in a perfect position 
to do exactly what they've been planning to do for the last five or six years or even more with electric cars, something that they couldn't do with ICE vehicles. They could never get their products into the market as ICE vehicles. They were just not capable of producing cars that could be operated in, in the US and, and uh, Europe. But they're certainly getting, getting them into the market now. Uh, and the other thing is that at some point in time, if, when we do realize that we're not going to be able to make all the electric vehicles that we plan to make, they're, they're in even in a better position because they're continuing to produce ICE vehicles for their markets and for other markets, for example, in Russia and India and, and South, Southeast Asia and many other places, which are not going to be even thinking about electric vehicles for, for quite some time. So that's the purpose of the article. It's, it goes into depth. In, in each one of these issues. And, uh, you know, I don't know who's going to read it. I don't know who's going to take, take it for what it is. I know I have some readers who are of the opinion, of the same opinion, uh, who've encouraged me to continue in this mode. But, uh, you know, a lot of people are, are, are simply moving down the track. The next issue, the next article is where we get into the the uh, the IRA that was just just uh, passed in the United States, where there's now there's tons of money being put into people's pockets for buying electric cars. I mean, we're providing incentives for doing things that are eventually going to get us into a huge hole. And does it, we're not does it be at all does it at all address your concerns when they're trying to? force that the majority of battery components and the critical minerals need to come from North America? I mean, I don't know how that happens, but well, are they addressing it, the concerns that you have about China? The minerals aren't, the minerals don't have to come from, because they can't. I mean, you can't, you, if you had to make a battery today with minerals coming from the United States, you wouldn't be able to do it. The minerals, most of the minerals are either being mined in, in mines that are, that are owned by or controlled in by agreement by China, but almost everything is being processed in China, just like aluminum. You know, it's, it's being processed there, it's being produced since batteries. And now the, the Chinese battery companies are moving into China so they can they can produce the batteries that, that will have to go into the cars by this law. The law says you, the car has to be assembled here in the US and the car has to, the batteries have to be produced. But that doesn't mean that the, the materials for them have to be processed and that the materials for them have to be mined there. I mean, they could go that far, but then they wouldn't be able to produce any batteries. So it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it, what it's, what it's doing right now is, is, is taking companies that are capable of producing wonderful cars in Korea, in uh, Japan, in, in Germany, um, in France, um, and saying you can't sell your cars here unless you open up factories, and most most companies have already done that, but not not necessarily for their electric cars. Well, you know this this is a this is a, this is a challenge because of course we we do know that with respect to um, to the market for electric cars, I mean uh, the the headlines that are coming out daily are about how. Um, electric cars apparently have one in china and apparently that's that's what people are buying or for whatever reasons being forced to buy off best thing on the marketplace who knows but an enormous 
demand for electric cars in China. Uh, that's, of course, an enormous demand <clears throat> for the batteries that are going to support those electric cars. So then the issue is, that even if you, um, if you didn't have to make the batteries here, would you be able to get the batteries that one needs? Because it looks like maybe the demand in, in China is going to saturate that, what they can do on the one hand. On the other hand, batteries have, have always been, to me, to my view, that you know, the critical uh, stumbling block in electric propulsion. I mean, people have wanted to do electric propulsion at least since uh, I dated back to 1835 um, with uh, Thomas Davenport, who really, at least in my looking, was the first guy to go out there and, and, and really uh, make a DC electric motor and <clears throat> focus on trying to put it in on mobility in, in 1835. And, and, um, and uh, it's, it's always been sort of the, uh, the, um, the objective to do it. Why? Because, uh, when you do it with, with electricity and batteries and have regenerative braking, it, it almost looks like a, a perpetual motion machine. Um, and anything that, um, that is uh, sort of in the minds of an engineer, a typical engineer for the last, you know, at least maybe 200 years, if not more, is to create a perpetual motion machine. That's the, that's the gold standard out there. Oh my goodness, um, you put energy in, but you can get energy back out of it. So there's zero net energy to do the mobility. And it's always been the, the desire of probably every budding engineer. And to me, the amazing thing has been what I talk about in class is that, is that you know, for 185 years, since Davenport, um, you know, the progress that we've made in battery technology and, and uh, coming, trying to come close to a perpetual motion machine really hasn't advanced very much. I mean, the batteries of today, eh, you know, maybe, maybe two or three X or four X better than the lead acids or whatever people were dealing with, but, but not, not, uh, 10 hundred thousand whatever x we've gone in in the digital world to take us from however analog computing to digital computing and the advances that we've made in that technology and so we're, we're sitting here trying to transform an industry um, with uh, basically an energy storage and distribution system that um, we have yet to make a real breakthrough on. Uh, and, uh, and to do it at the scales that one is trying to do that with um, the quality of, um, of that entity is really challenging. Because if but you it's look not, at- sort, It's you not look, just challenging, it's impossible. Well, um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I, yeah, I might, I might agree. Impossible with the with the current with the current form. It would be like, let's say, let's do a, a mobile phone 
with the compute uh, capabilities and communication capabilities that, that we had um, that uh, uh, von Neumann had or something like that in 1945 or, you know, or, or IBM mainframes. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's, it's almost silly to even think about it. And so, you know, it, yeah, it's nice. It's interesting. <clears throat> the, the issue is getting the scale and, and, and that's what you're pointing out very, very, uh, very handsomely here is getting the scale is, is, is a non-trivial uh, task at this particular point with the, with the tools and the ways and the things that we have for doing it now. Now, if somebody makes an enormous breakthrough in, in battery technology and, or and electric storage technology which then requires not these materials other materials and other things and you know, da, 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 maybe but um boy, where we are now, it, it michael why, 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 i'm, ahead, I'm curious Sorry. as to why you say impossible a lot of people are curious because they see headlines coming out you know every week or two at least with new technologies that are so promising you know if you take a look at all kinds of reports Carnegie Mellon, MIT, so so many places that are saying they've got this new technology on the way. Yeah, well, the, I mean, the, we've said the same thing about about hydrogen vehicles. <laughs> I mean, if we if you want to, we're we're looking at, at building a hundred million cars. Hundred million, yeah, yeah hundred million cars. Ten to hundred million and, cars yeah. a year. What are take ten, take hundred? If you're number. going to sell, if 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 fifty percent of the cars. Are, on the market are going to be sold at a particular time you're looking at at 50 million cars a year so let's let's just make you know let's let's just look at the numbers those cars require batteries those cars require everything that needs to go into a battery i'm not even looking at the charging the issue the primary issues are being able to generate enough electricity in order to be able to charge everything else including building whatever it is we're building plus charging vehicles which is something we're not doing right now and alan has has, has talked about this at length you know adding this additional amount so we thought we had when we started with this process no one asked no one really asked do we have all of the minerals that we need to be able to make the batteries oh yeah we, we can get them that's no problem i mean who's saying that Who's in, the, who's in the business of making these cars? He's not going to say, yes, this is a real problem. But now we're here, not 2006, not 2013 or 12. Now we're in 2022, looking at 10, in less than 10 years time of having many of the cars that we're now producing as ICE vehicles, as being electric cars. And we don't have the minerals to be able to produce these. We need to be able to take them out of the ground. We need to process them. Those have to be at present time. Most of that processing is going on in China. We thought we could produce enough batteries. If you look at the numbers, how many people are in the process now of building plants, whether it's, it's, it's the, the group in, in uh, Sweden or, or Musk or, or the Chinese, they're trying to build these things as quickly as they can everywhere in order to generate enough batteries that will go in these cars. We don't know whether we can do that, but the likelihood is very high that we cannot. We thought we could generate enough electricity. We can't even turn 
generate enough electricity at a price that people can afford to keep the factories running. I mean, this is a real problem here in, in not, not just in Europe, but in most of the, most of the world right now. And because we've, we've, we've given up on the one source of, of electricity that we had that was dependable, we're closing down another one that, was, that looked to be clean, nuclear energy and and we had people who were who were pushing this i don't know who was behind that but i can i can give some guesses of who was behind the 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 the, the environmental groups who were pushing this and now everyone says gee how are we going to run our electricity the wind doesn't always blow the sun doesn't always shine we've got lots of of renewable energy but we don't have any dependable energy with that keeps the lights on and keeps things working and 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 at the same time we're pushing people to buy electric cars. We don't have to do that. What's the goal? What's the objective? The objective is to reduce, reduce emissions. That's what, that's what all this is about. There's nothing else that this is, that this is, this we're trying to focus on here. That's not the answer. The answer isn't to make more electricity using coal in China to be able to do everything that, that's, that's necessary. That, that it's not staying in China, it's going up into the atmosphere and it's, it's creating more and more of a problem. I, don't, I just don't understand why this is so difficult for folks to understand. I just don't get it. You know, if, if, if Russia and China and India and all of those countries are still pouring lots of bad stuff up there it doesn't make a small difference what sweden does or even what germany does in the united states if you look at the at, at where the, the you know how things have been moving in in the united states towards reducing emissions and and getting getting greener it's been going in the right direction it's going there but at the same time these other countries have been coming online and pouring more and more and more stuff up there and all we're doing is is feeding this this huge beast which continues to take coal out of the ground and, and use it to be able to do what it's what it's you know basically what we're telling it it has to do is produce more cars so that we can drive them around here and well, yeah, i i think it's all going to reach ahead this winter when when the whole energy issue of of europe comes up as a as a question mark if something is done isn't done about the whole ukrainian thing because of course you know the 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 role that that russia played in the distribution of energy uh, throughout europe whether it be a gas uh, natural gas or maybe electricity or shutting down more of the nuclear plants in ukraine and so on and and what about germany and how is hungary dependent on the energy flow out of all that and so on and so forth i mean talk about potential to you know <laughs> this winter is going to be really interesting in terms of the geopolitical implications of energy and uh, you know is saudi arabia going to show up with oil tankers or something like that or we, we don't need really oil, going... we don't <laughs> I, need know. oil. You know, I, I know you don't yeah. but I, I i don't we need know. gas i know we need so, gas so because we're gonna, because we're germany get... germany got themselves in a in a in a problem by believing that Russia was acted as a normal a normal country and its leadership was were, were reasonable right. people, they aren't. And but my my point is that was a conscious move on the part of Russia. They knew exactly what they were yeah, doing. Yeah, they of were course. getting Germany and the rest of Europe, Italy, Greece, all of the countries 
in a position where they were completely dependent and then they went into to Ukraine. Right. I mean, it, and, and in a sense, if one looks at their strategy, my goodness, look at what they've done to, to the oil markets and the price of fuel and so on and so sure. forth during the summer. What's it going to be like during the winter? Okay. And, and winter in Europe, which, you know, I think it gets cold there, doesn't it? And it gets people, cold. people, I yeah. guess, will put on their gilet as I did today with mine, but uh, yeah. But uh, I mean, it's it's going to be I don't know, it's going to be very interesting. And then somebody says, oh, my goodness, we've had this other product that that really uh, is in abundance. And in fact, whose price had gone down to, you know, really what a, something should be uh, uh, that's in abundance. And all of a sudden, we're not going to use that. We're going to go out and use electricity to, to do this mobility. Uh, which is which is the the energy that's really um, in in enormous demand. Uh, why? Because you just want to turn a light on. Yep. So, any ideas about how we can get this up to the to the fearless leaders in in places like the United States, so they can stop? saying we have to get $7,500 into everybody's pocket so they can buy an electric car. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it is really interesting. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're subsidizing ourselves out of business. Exactly. Well, we just bought a new car. Actually, we bought it back in July, but we took, we took it, took ownership of it today. And, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's a hybrid. It's a, it's excellent. a Toyota RAV4 hybrid. It's my wife's car. Excellent. Is it a yeah. stick shift? They don't come in stick shifts. Come on. <laughs> I thought she drove a stick. She does. Yeah, it was, it was hard. She drove her 2006 Toyota stick shift to the Toyota dealer today. Oh, to my goodness. We are automating uh, uh, the, the going through gears in Europe and everything yeah. is now automated. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Moving on, uh, Michael, in, in yeah. the dispatcher, you also get into uh, the dangers of ungated railroad crossings. And you're saying technology could be employed to, to help avoid collisions. Tell us about the, the, the issue and the, the solution. Yeah, well, there's the, the solution. I, specifically, it's, it's, a, it's a, an application that was developed in, in Sweden with the, the um, Swedish uh, Road Administration. Um, we have a lot of un ungated road crossing, uh, railroad crossings in Sweden. Sweden is the third largest country in Europe, excluding Russia, um, after after France and Spain. So it's a, it's a very it's long and it's lots of lots of forest and it's got lots of railroads. There are approximately thirty five hundred uh, ungated rail rail crossings that are the responsibility of the road administration there are another 2500 which are private and these are dangerous i mean if you've ever been in the vicinity of one of these things and, and you you hear a train coming you've got to be very careful and there are a significant number of deaths it, it's not it's not like you know huge percentage but it's a significant number and it's enough to be able to want to do something about it but it's extremely expensive to turn a, a, an ungated to a gated, just putting electronics in it. 
uh, or to do what they're doing in in um, in the Netherlands, which is building building separations in many of the of theirs. But they've only got a you know several a few hundred compared to Sweden. So the road administration has developed an application. It's really a start. It's a first step to warn people, both in cars and and in, in trucks, as they're approaching the intersection, <clears throat> if a train is in the vicinity, so that that there's this this inter inter communication between the, the train that's coming and the individuals who are in the vicinity. It's they call they call it a fenced area. You know, you enter the fenced area and and suddenly you're you're available for a message that comes comes to them. I don't have all the information about how it's working, but Al and I had a conversation about this yesterday and now I'm going to have a a meeting with the people who have developed this. But uh, so I, I it's a start. It's an interesting one because, of course, for some time we've been talking about vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communications, and and um, and talking about how, uh, as two vehicles are approaching themselves at an intersection, they should be communicating, and it's always been kind of nice because you can see around the corner type of thing and so on and so forth. But if you look at where this is really valuable, is is not car to car, is car to choo choo. Uh, because if there's a choo-choo come down the track and um, and you're not aware of it, um, um, things could get not very pretty very quickly. And and so of course uh, that's that's what this application is focused on. Um, but of course it's it's non-trivial because you 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 have to have the information, you have to have the communications, you you both have to be on the same page in some sense. And the, the, to get uh, to get the people on the same page is, is not trivial. Yep. And so, um, so, but this is a step and this is a good step and it's worth the effort and, and I wish you, wish you all the best with it. Another issue you tread upon is pollution from tires, Michael. Yeah, this is new to me. It was new. Well, you know, it's, it's one of these things that you, you you kind of think about it. And we have working as I have as I have with the uh, road administration. There are there are two camps in Sweden. There's the one camp, which is you put you have studded tires because in Sweden you've got snow, you have ice, and clearly safer alternative if you're traveling at times, you know, especially early in in the morning or late when it when it freezes um studded tires really do save lives that's that's proven but one of the big problems with with studded tires is that they generate particles off the roads i mean they, they they're eating up the roads so when 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 we do roads here most of the of the damage to the roads is from the ruts from the cars so as you're driving and if, if you're if you're water planing it's like heavily rain, raining. You go into these ruts and you, and you get stuck there because that's what happens. We have we have studded tires and we, we do this, fix the roads quite often. Um, the idea is that if you don't have studs, you don't have the problem. You know, so they have winter tires that don't have studs, but they don't work as well as studded tires. So I don't use them. I mean, I use studded tires and will continue to. Um, so it's it's in the heads of people in, in Sweden because you hear about this sort of thing. This group has decided to do something and it's not just, it's not from the road dust. This is from the tire dust because when you run a, when you run your tires, you're wearing the tires out. 
that the stuff from the tires goes someplace. Where does it go? It goes up into the atmosphere. It, you know, it spreads around and, and it's on things, and it's particles. It's ke it's chemicals and it's and it's uh, uh, it's not rubber anymore. It's synthetic rubber. But these this gets into the atmosphere, and you know why not vacuum it up while it's while it's coming off the tires rather than just letting it go out into the atmosphere why not why doesn't every car and probably at some point in the time the eu will make a law saying every car has to have a little vacuum cleaner on the on every tire and then you know they'll figure out ways of gathering it all up and then doing something with it it's you know it's like recycling aluminum you know eventually the you cycle recycle aluminum you make new aluminum cans so i thought this was interesting and I, you know, that's that's what the newsletter is for. Every now and then, I find an interesting thing, and I'll throw it in there. Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> it, it certainly is. I mean, you know, and this has been going on for years, and and uh, I, I spent a couple winters at the University of Minnesota, and and address the same issues you address with respect to studded tires and and i think you know and maybe and i'm not sure where they are today but at one point it was seriously discussed to to basically outlaw studded tires you could put on chains uh, but to have studded tires uh, was was detrimental because because they're on all the time and in the so winter. they're in the winter, and yeah. so they're on yeah. when there's snow and when there isn't, mm -hmm. and on surfaces that do have ice and so on, and surfaces that don't. And of course, the the wear and tear that's that these things, the rutting that that these cause is uh, is uh, substantial. And of course, then the maintenance and so on to eliminate the rutting, and then actually the design and the and the surfacing of roads and the differential surfacing at places where you're likely to get rutting versus not likely blah 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 and all the other things are you know make this a substantial a substantial issue mm -hmm. there's also of course the health issue of this uh, to you know to the extent that that this uh, uh, you know not only have we done something about tailpipe emissions and so on going you know the whole issue of, of emissions coming uh, from the, uh, the the wheels of the vehicles that run around is, um, is, is is substantial and of course you know the vacuuming it up and dealing with it in some sense the, you know we're doing that some with catalytic converters with the with the exhaust that's coming out of an engine we're basically vacuuming some of the bad stuff out of it you could think of it as vacuuming some of the sure. bad stuff out of it with catalytic converters so you know it's uh, one could think about about doing all that uh, you know and if, if you ever you know, every once in a while I watch Formula One racing and so on and what you know, racing does the tires and what they do with, I mean, there ends up being pellets all over the darn place, all over the roadway that, that are, that are really the product of the wear of those tires during a race and so on. So yeah, it, it's an issue. We will be back with more, but this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor, the smart ETFs, smart transportation and technology ETF symbol MOTO. To get more info, head to MOTOETF.com. On the website, look for the white paper. It's called The Smart Transportation Revolution. You'll find it under the Insights and News tab. Some great information there to help you make informed decisions about investing. 
ETFs, you probably know, can be a smart way to spread risk with investments, maybe focus on a particular category of stocks. That website, again, is MOTOETF.com. We are back with more of Smart Driving Cars and our guest, the dispatcher publisher, Michael Senna. There are a couple of lighter pieces in the latest edition, Michael. The the silver Aston Martin DB5 owned by the estate of Sean Connery has been sold for nearly two and a half million dollars. This doesn't have all the gadgets, the cool stuff that we saw in the movie though, right? No, no, it doesn't. He bought it himself. He, uh, I guess he decided that he wanted to have it in his, his later years and he drove it around and you know, now, it's, now it's for sale. I mean, th- there are so many people who are, are love cars we we have a we have a summer kind of a vacation place and every wednesday between the middle of june and the the middle of august there's a a a gathering of classic cars in our town and then you know there's everything is there from rolls royces to to mgs and triumphs and everything it's it's there's just this spirit of of people and I don't know. Maybe someday there'll be a, a gathering of of, of a less electric car enthusiasts. But uh, somehow, I, I I don't know. I just can't. I can't imagine it unless <laughs> unless they've got hood ornaments. I, I I I was in Memphis this past weekend for went to Graceland and we we had the, the, the conference that I was at we had a function there at Graceland in the motor museum part of of what was of what Elvis had and my goodness uh, Elvis's collection including the pink Cadillac I mean it is it is yeah. it, it is totally gorgeous uh, the uh, the um, uh, Mercedes limousine and and so on and whatever I mean it is uh, yeah, um, uh, yeah. Lot, lots of fancy hood ornaments, I'm sure. And there's an interesting <laughs> history of hood ornaments in the latest ditch dispatcher. Michael, tell us about that and uh, your particular favorite, maybe. Yeah, well, I, this has been in the works for quite some time. I've, uh, I've, I've always had a, a real, a, a strong interest in, in hood ornaments. I grew up at a time when there was they were just beginning to to be phased out. So I had maybe 10 years when when hood ornaments like the 1948 Pontiac uh, that I've got in the article and and several others were were there. And I it they were very special. And it, just these 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 designs that were incorporated extremely well into the to the to the um, the overall line and, and design of the of the cars I contrast the 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 48 uh, Pontiac with the with the the Volkswagen you know the, the for the Volkswagen the hood ornament was the handle that pulled up the the, the frunk um, you know they they trans somehow they transmogrified the the ornament into this this you know this felt very utilitarian thing but I, you know, with all of the seriousness of the of the uh, the first article on on uh, on batteries and some of the other issues, I thought it was time to give the give my readers something something on the lighter side, and uh, hopefully they'll enjoy it. <clears throat> hopefully they'll some of them will have some memories of their their own hood ornaments that were favorites for uh, for them. And then, and there's one, there's one thing very special in here. There's a, there's a click on where you can see some of the world's best hood ornaments 
that are in a collection in uh, in Michigan. So, you know, even yeah, that's worth the price of admission to the to the dispatcher this month. I guess none of the cars today have hood ornaments uh, simply because that was yeah they do yeah Rolls Royce still has them I maybe Bentley, maybe Bentley but but in in the article you can see the me the mechanism that takes them down as soon as once the car is parked yeah. or uh, yeah okay uh, you know yeah. it hides them sure yeah. because of the aerodynamic effects and therefore you're going to lose a little bit of uh, of your uh, miles per gallon on it and uh, and they've disappeared you know they're a drag i do, i can't do, do you I think somebody who owns an, a rolls royce really is is counting the pennies <laughs> no 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 but but everybody but the regulator who's out there looking at at what their their highway and 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 the city uh, MPGs miles per gallon are, and uh, yeah. and so on and so forth. And uh, I suspect that that's yeah. Oh, God, gosh, that Pontiac ornament looks aerodynamic to me, Mike. <laughs> it sure does. It really it it's it does. I mean, the whole thing, just seeing it on the car, seeing how how you know the how the the the, yeah. the band, the, the chrome is is you know it's these filials that are that. Oh, it's just it's just absolutely gorgeous. But the thing is, I wanted to make another point that whenever you look for hood ornaments and you get something, you know, from the from wherever, you know, it says, "Well, well, they they were just put there to be to be uh, fancy uh, radiator caps." Because you know the the original mm -hmm. first cars, yeah. not the f very first cars, but later uh, later cars, um, where the 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 radiator was was very prominent, and the radiator cap was was accessible because you had to get it off really quickly. So that this became a pedestal for them. I went back a bit further and said it's you know it goes deeper than that. Not, you know, and that's ships starting in the Viking ships <laughs> or before that actually. You know, the 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 maiden heads on the on the old Viking ships. Yeah, and, well, the, yeah, well, the 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 dragons yeah, on the yeah, on the yeah. Viking ships, the dragons and serpents, and then the maiden, the figureheads, and then the maiden heads, the you know, lovely women who were who were there to bring luck to the to the uh, to the seamen, um, and carrying that into this talisman. You you know you wore something, you had something to not only to bring you luck but to bring you safety. You know, bring you back safely mm -hmm. with the, the Viking, the Viking um, dragons were there to help your gods beat the, the gods of the of your enemy. You, you didn't as an as a as a strong Viking, you didn't care about putting fear into the to the hearts of the of your enemy. You what you did want to do is though is you wanted you wanted to have your god be in a very strong position against their gods so they you know there was sort of these two levels that they were fighting on um it's a little bit far-fetched but but it's it's fun i mean it cars are not just pieces of metal and plastic and rubber and and you know cars have cars and trucks you know take a look at the front of a mac truck what's on the what's on a mac truck there's a bulldog yeah. Bull, and that bulldog, bulldog is there. still Absolutely. you know it's still there and, it's, and there's a reason for it. it's a bulldog and it's not a poodle you know, this, it's it's you know it's not one of these shoot shoes or whatever they're called. It's a it's a bulldog. <laughs> uh, 
Very good. Very good. So yeah. the, the, the upshot is read the dispatch or find it at michaelelsenate.com. Please. Some, some other headlines it's to free. get to. U.S. News and World Report has a headline that reads, South Korea hopes to have 50% autonomous cars by 2035. Alan, uh, I can see you grimacing, and it sounds like they're talking about private ownership. Yeah, great. Okay. I mean, I, I just can't imagine. Um, I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know why, um, what, what the objective, is, you know, really is. Um, but uh, sure, that, have that. Uh, uh, okay, great. Um, well, the, the, the piece uh, seems to indicate the government there, of course, wants to be seen as being ahead of other countries. They're certainly a, a big technology company with with everything in so many areas today. Well, and I'm they, sure like I'm sure pushing. it's being it's being ahead and it shows something, but 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 maybe 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 not the the. Uh, again, the, the issue is, is it are we being chauffeured or, or is this something to just help the, the driver comfort convenience and, and some aspects of safety? Uh, if, if, if the automation is, is to overcome uh, the, the misbehavior of drivers, then that's fantastic because, because as I continue to say, uh, mo- most is essentially almost all of of crashes are due to misbehaviors of drivers and so if if you want to do the automation to basically um, uh, overcome that misbehavior so that when the misbehavior doesn't lead to a crash uh, the the uh, uh, the intelligence of the automated system takes over and uh, you know um, keeps it from getting out of hand then that's fine um, uh, but I'm not sure that that's really what folks are, are, are focusing on on this thing. And, and it's, it's kind of a shame that they're not. <clears throat> I mean, we've always had the opportunity to put governors on cars to, instead of my speedometer saying I can go <clears throat> 220 miles an hour in my car. Where in the heck am I going to do 220 in Jersey? I mean, it's, it's almost silly. And, and if I want to take it to a track, then it's in a private area and, you know, uh, who cares, but on public roads. And, and so there really should be governors on there. If one looks at the, the way people are driving on, in, on roads these days in the U.S., I mean, it's like crazy stuff. You know, in the right-hand lanes, they're going faster than in the left-hand lanes and going at, you know, differential speeds. It's like it's nuts. And then you get to, to the alcohol consumption and you get to the road rage and you get to the texting and you get to all that stuff. You know, that's our challenge. So, so if, if, if all this automation is to overcome those challenges, fantastic. Um, if it's for something else, then, you know, I don't know. Meanwhile, uh, Brad Templeton has a piece in Forbes that's headlined, why don't you have a self-driving car yet? And it's a two-part series explaining uh, what he says are the big problems, technological and legal. Well, I don't know about legal. It just doesn't work well enough. If you're really going to be chauffeured around, then the thing can't crash or rarely crash. If I get on an airplane, a United Airlines flight, I'm assuming that sucker's not going to crash. 
Okay. And so far, so good. <laughs> I'm a happy camper. And, and I really don't care how they do it. I don't know if there's a pilot up there. I don't know what the pilot's doing. They don't, they now don't even let, let me knock on the door and say, Hey, yo, you know, can you go a little faster or something? You know, <laughs> they, they don't, you get near that door and they arrest you. Okay. I don't know what's going on up there. And, and actually I don't care because so far they've gotten me safely to where I wanted to go. And so sure. Uh, but, but so far these systems don't, don't do, don't do it in enough different places. They do do it in a couple places. They are doing it in Chandler. They are doing it now in downtown Phoenix. They are doing it in places in San Francisco. They may actually be doing it in some places in China. Uh, you know, it's, but at least who knows, but at least there they're doing it in public roadways under normal conditions without having a police escort or the equivalent. So it is happening in the small. The issue is to happen in the large. Certainly, the, you know, the expectations, we have expectations of our cars that we can go visit grandma without re-energizing them and grandma lives 2,000 miles away or something. I don't know what our perception is, but we have a perception that we can travel very far without re-energizing. And the, the, you know, the, the initial problem of electric vehicles was, oh my goodness, uh, the range is only 200 miles or 100 miles. Huh? Jesus, you know, how often do you go 100 miles away? And it turns out not very often. And, and, and but, but we still have that perception of that, that outlier that we want to be able to hit. All of a sudden, you know, if I buy one of these things, I'm going to, I'm going to, it's going to have to be able to not necessarily climb the Great Wall of China or, you know, go down the riverbeds or across mountain, in mountain, jagged mountains, but it's going to have to go on most roads. And, and uh, right now, and do it right now, it's not doing it on most roads, not even a, a few roads, well, maybe a few. But. <laughs> and of course, we're still talking about creating this operational design domain. Well, find areas, places like Trenton, where this could really be put to good well, use. Well, look, I, I can't see anybody selling me a, a, a driverless vehicle that doesn't have a governor on board called a governor that says this vehicle does not go driverlessly in these places it only goes in these places at this time and it probably is out there looking to see if it's snowing or not and it says and if i want to send it out there when it's snowing that it says oh, i'm not going i can't see anybody selling us that to, to, to me to sell it to me where now i can misbehave in using it those folks are going to be bankrupt instantaneously Okay, because they're going to have to be responsible for its operation. 
And in fact, you know, when, when we license, when these things are licensed in the uh, Motor Vehicle Commission in New Jersey or in Pennsylvania or in Arkansas or Mississippi, or you pick the state in the United States, you know, there's going to have to be a responsible entity designated in case this thing, one, violates traffic laws, okay? Because tickets are going to be issued to these things. And if tickets are issued, somebody's gonna have to pay them. And can you imagine somebody sending their driverless vehicle, I'm gonna send it down to you, Fred, and it now, is going to have to adhere to all the traffic laws between Princeton and, and, and Jackson, New Jersey. And it goes above the speed limit. The police are gonna, I mean, each of these communities are gonna be there. Oh man, we're ticketing that guy. This is, this is, this is cheap revenue, man. We're just, right. We're just gonna, we're just gonna ticket it, okay. Because are we really going to allow a driverless entity go out there and, and violate our traffic laws the way we violate the traffic laws? I don't know. I don't seem to think so. I, I just don't seem to think so. have to go after so. the coders on that, right? <laughs> well, yeah. So therefore, all these things are going to have to be out there absolutely coming to a complete stop at stop signs, not running red lights not entering uh, um, uh, crosswalks if, if there's a pedestrian in the crosswalk and you name the other sort of laws, rules of the road that we have out there, including speed limits. And, and so when, when one considers that, that these are probably constraints that are placed on this system, is anyone really going to wanna buy one? I, I don't know. How's Madison Avenue going to going to assuage me to say, oh, yeah, I know. I want one of these things. And which community is communities aren't going to let these things go down their streets, violating the speed limit. You know, I go running every morning on on Mercer Street in Princeton. The speed limit's 25 miles an hour. We have road humps there to try to keep cars 25 miles an hour and who knows how fast they're trying to run me over down there and the police sit there and whatever and and they can't pull over everybody that's going over 25 i guess they only pull, pull people over there that are going over 35 or 40 or something otherwise you know they'd be pulling everybody over but we're not going to allow a driverless vehicle to just behave that way i don't believe so and they're going to have to have the, the ability to, if the police, you know, has a whatever on it, uh, those things pull over and, uh, and accept a ticket from the, from the, from the policeman. I, I think, I mean, I think that's the way society is going to react to these things. Maybe I'm goofy. I don't know. Talk to me here. <laughs> uh I don't know what the question. I don't know what the. I don't know why this. The article was written. I'm sure Brad. I haven't read it. Um, I think I will just see what. Why don't we have self-driving cars yet? I mean, that's for for most people. Driverless cars, self-driving. I mean, self-driving. I call the ones that that help us out. So on a level well, two and below, level two plus and below. 
whatever. But it's self. Yeah, yeah he's is it, is it titled "Why Don't We Have Self-Driving Cars?" Or is That's it titled? What, that, that I believe is what the title is. Yeah, yeah but okay. one doesn't know what who's what. Right. Def, what is a self-driving car? It's a car that doesn't have a human driving it. That's what a self-driving car is. Yes. Okay. Okay. No. So Fine. we don't we, have self. Yeah. A self-driving car is a car that doesn't have a human driving it. I, right, a driverless, I, a driverless car. I mean, I don't know. We we had had this discussion five or six years ago, and I thought yeah, we got we got we, past that that whole thing. We aren't past no. it. Nobody knows right. what anybody's talking about anyway yeah. in this business, which is part of the conundrum on this. Okay. And maybe in the end, that's what the auto industry sells it to us. It's what Elon's been trying to do. He has something called FSD. And, and yeah, you know, we're gonna we're gonna be talking about that. We, we, if, gotta, if you invite me back in a month's time, we're no, gonna we, be talking about exactly that issue. Exactly that issue, you know, yes. and FSD. But if you pull out the manual and and it describes FSD, it says that the driver has to be in there in the seat and aware of what the heck's going on and and capable of taking over. I mean, it says now it says in fine print and da da d and who read it? Nobody knows, but. We give it this name that we, you know, our perception is that it's <coughs> it's something. Uh, Elon, I guess, has a different perception. My, the, the issue starts with this with this quote from Mark Twain: "The truth, <laughs> the truth has no defense against a fool determined to believe a lie." Yeah, he was brilliant, Mark Twain. He, he knew, he knew so, how to turn. So are you, Michael? He knew how to turn a phrase. He knew how to turn a phrase, and and we agree. I mean, I, there's you can't disagree with that at all. Okay, and uh, the the issue is that we're we're in a situation here, and um, and uh, yeah, um, we're in a situation. Don't know, Michael. Um, proven once again just how valuable you are. Thank you so much for spending the time with us once again. My pleasure. Always a pleasure. Okay. Thank you, Michael. The website for more is michaellsena.com. You can find the dispatcher there as well. Thank you to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO, and more info is available at MOTOETF.com. Technical support is provided by CARTS, the Corporation for Automated Road Transportation Safety. It's a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to safe and high-quality mobility for all. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, Amazon, TuneIn, Apple, Google, wherever you get your podcasts from. Smart speakers can play us too. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching. Please continue to stay safe.